Hello. Um, I think that video was better than any walk-up song I could have picked. It's like, I'm, I'm jazzed. Um, so, little known fact about me, but when I first came to Grace Point uh, 10 years ago, I actually was the Oasis pastor. This was what I did. And one of the first uh, years that I did Oasis, we started doing this thing that we called Winter Retreat. And for the winter retreat, the first year we did it, we decided we would take, um, we only had two 15-passenger vans, so we took 30 students out to uh, Rapid City, and as part of the winter retreat, we went skiing at Terry Peak. Now, let me, let me preface this. This is a uh, message on pride and humility, so let, let me ask you this question before I continue. Have you ever had a moment where you overestimated your ability at something, where you thought, like, I am better at this? then in reality, you actually are. Do you know what I'm talking about? You've been there. Okay. So as part of the, uh, the winter retreat, we went to Terry Peak, and I had to get everybody checked in. I get them all their equipment, and I'm the last one. So I come out with my ski equipment, and I'm, I'm kind of pumped. Uh, at this point in my life, I'd been skiing one other time in the great state of Michigan. And if you've never heard about the great skiing in Michigan, it's because there isn't any, right? Like, it's the only ski hill is like a little rise on the horizon and they put chairlifts on it and call it a, a ski lift. Uh, so that's my only experience. But I think, you know, I've done this before. I feel like I'm an okay skier. I'm not great. Uh, but I know two things about skiing. If you're a note taker, you might want to write this down. Two things you need to know. Uh, French fries and pizza pie. So French fries is when you're going right down the mountain. Your, your skis are parallel. Uh, pizza pie is when you point them towards each other to kind of slow down a little bit. Now, here's the thing. Uh, French fries and pizza pie only work until you're about eight years old. Uh, then you have just too much mass and momentum and you actually have to carve uh, the mountain like an adult. But here's the thing. I don't know how to do any of that. Okay. So I get my equipment and I go down the bunny hill like twice. And if there's anything that was meant to boost your ego, it's the bunny hill. So I go down twice. I'm like, yeah, this is like riding a bike. You never forget. It just comes right back. So I, I hop on the main chairlift. If you've been to Terry Peak, that, that run right outside the lodge. And I take the ski lift up. And, and this should have been my hint. I was that guy at the top of the mountain getting off the ski lift that ate it, right? <laughs> like yards. I haven't even gone down the mountain and my skis and equipment are everywhere. So I'm like trying to pick up my stuff. At this point, I still think I'm going to be all right going down the mountain because in my mind, I'm an okay skier. So I start going down the mountain and there's this moment of panic when I realize that a green circle ski run, that's the easiest ski run in the state of Michigan, is nowhere comparable to Terry Peak. And I'm in a whole new world. And so I get going way too fast. And here was my strategy, get going too fast and bail, get going too fast and bail. And I'm working my way down the mountain. Now, and this one particular moment, I get a little bit of speed and I think, okay, okay, maybe I'm getting this. And out of the corner of my eye, I see this woman coming across the mountain. She's carving like you actually should. Now, here, here's the problem. I don't know how to actually steer or direct myself uh, anywhere other than straight down the mountain, right? So I can see her coming across the mountain and I can tell that we're on a trajectory to make impact. Uh, this woman, even with ski clothes on, I'm going to guess weighed 125 pounds, I haven't weighed 125 pounds since third grade, right? So I can see the trajectory and I'm like, oh, this is going to hurt for her, right? So I start yelling, hey, hey, like thinking I, can, I can't stop, but maybe you can do something, right? She can't hear me because she's got all her stuff on and it's a mountain and who can hear someone yelling? So right before we make impact, I, I like bail and barrel roll, but 
take her out. I mean, yard sales, skis everywhere. And she is now rolling on the mountain going, ah, my leg, my leg. And it's like, oh no, I just, I broke this woman's leg. Um, And of course, it was conveniently under the ski lift. So everyone riding by is like, oh, did you see that guy? He just hit that. And I can like see them acting it out with their hands. So at this point, I'm like, oh, I'm like, ma'am, are are you okay? And at this point, her two daughters ski up. They drop to their knees and they start screaming, mom, mom. And I was like, ah, this child thinks that I've just killed her mother. I was like, I can pay for counseling. I'll do whatever I can to help. And she's still holding her leg. And she looks at her daughter. She goes, did you see who hit me? And I was like, oh, no. She doesn't know it was me. And her daughter looks at me and goes, it was him. (laughs) I thought you knew because I'm still here. At this point, ski patrol shows up and they load her on uh, one of those little toboggans. And they're like, you come with us. And I was like, um, question, can I also ride the toboggan? Because I don't actually know how to ski. I didn't actually ask that, but I wanted to, right? So insult to injury. I've just... Uh, broke this woman's leg, I think. She gets to ride down a toboggan. I have to continue to go and like crash down the mountain. So 10 minutes later, I show up to ski patrol and he hands me a sheet of paper and he goes, I need you to draw a picture of what happened. I was like, I'm sorry. Uh, You want me to draw a picture of what happened? So somewhere at Terry Peak in the official incident report folder, there is a picture of stick figure people crashing on a mountain. (laughs) And so... Long story short, the lady turned out okay, just a bad bruise on her bone. She was all right. Ski patrol was all right. And they're like, you're free to go. I promptly returned all my skis. and was like, I'm just going to sit this one out. I'm just going to watch everybody else have a good time. Because here's the thing. I thought I was better at it than I actually was. And what happened was I realized once I got into it, I had no idea what I was actually doing. But in my mind, I was great. And I was going to be pretty good at skiing. Sure, I was going to fall once or twice. But after that, I was going to get the hang of it and just be right in the flow. Now, the problem is, right, pride entered the scenario. And here's the funny thing about pride. Pride has a way of overinflating our ability to do things, right? So here's the thing. Pride is a false perspective on my life in which my view of myself and my abilities is overinflated. And what happens then is, is with pride, my world becomes focused on myself. So a person who is just filled with pride, what they want to do is they want to have everyone else around them have this perception of them that, that is overinflated, that they're really good at what they do. They want to be praised by other people. They thrive on words of affirmation and words of, of praise that, that lift them up because everyone around them, they want to draw that attention to themselves. Right, but here's what I want to suggest to you is, and notice in my definition up there that I say pride is a false perspective. I want to suggest to you that what pride does in overinflating our sense of ourselves is it leads us to be self-deceived. Listen to the way uh, Galatians describes this. This is uh, the Apostle Paul writing to a church uh, early in the first century. He says this about pride. If I can get there, Galatians 6, 3. He says this, he says, if anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Let me read that again. Galatians 6, 3. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. So in in a sense, when I talk about pride being a false perspective, what it means, it's a place in which we are self-deceived. It's a way in which you think you were something, Paul says, but you're not. When you see it from the outside, doesn't it look like a sorry perspective? Have you from the outside observed someone who really thinks they're something? And you're like, dude, you're not that good, whatever it might be. But they think they're the greatest, they're self-deceived. Now, if I told you 
something wasn't true in your life, would you want to continue to walk in a way that was self-deceived? I, I don't. If something isn't true, I don't want to continue to give my life to it, to continue to invest time and energy in it. So, so my goal tonight is to encourage us to, to move from pride to a place of humility, to leave behind a place of self-deception and to step into a true perspective of who we are. But here's the challenge. Have you, have you noticed that people who struggle with pride are not very receptive, right? You, you try to tell somebody they're prideful and they're like, who, who are you? You're, you're not the judge of me. And that, that's the challenge. I mean, here's the, the flip side though. When we are prideful, we're often not receptive to the words of wisdom from other people. When we are prideful, there's this sense of I'm better than you. Who are you to speak into my life? So the challenge is in walking in pride as a false perspective, when we are self-deceived, we, we are resistant to hear the truth about ourselves. So, so here's what happens, right? Pride leaves us in this place where we have a, a sense of false perception. Now, by the way, I think the other side of pride that we don't talk about is insecurity. We often think of insecurity as the opposite of pride. I'm going to suggest to you the opposite of pride is, is humility. The difference though is we often think of humility as this. We think of humility as the person who walks around saying, ah, I'm not, I'm not that good at things. No, I, I'm, I don't have any strengths, right? We imagine humility as sort of a self-deprecating uh, person who doesn't acknowledge anything good about themselves. That's not humility. I would suggest to you that that is insecurity, which is simply another form of pride. Because the problem with insecurity is someone who walks in insecurity, they want everybody else around them to affirm them. And the problem is that both pride and insecurity, you function in this place where your world is focused on you. You want people to affirm you. You want people to encourage you. Uh, pride comes at it from a point of confidence. Insecurity comes at it from a false perspective in which you don't recognize uh, the, the quality and the worth and the value that God has invested in you. This is not humility. It's false humility, but it's actually pride with a different mask. Now, what I want to suggest to you too is that, that pride, right, is, is a false perspective, your, your sense of yourself, your strengths and weaknesses is overinflated. Humility then is what it is to have a right perspective, a right view of yourself. But here's the problem, right? Between pride and humility is this great chasm. The question is, how do we bridge that gap and find our way to being a people who walk in true humility? I could tell you, just, just be humble, right? It's just that easy. The problem is when you've been walking in pride, Humility is an entirely new way of living, one that requires us to be changed and transformed. And here's the reality. When humility can't be cultivated, humiliation is not far behind. And I say that because what happens is when you walk in a false sense of yourself, you are going to overextend yourself. You're going to speak into things and try things that you think you're really good at, and you're going to throw yourself into it. And, and scripture even speaks to this. It says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And sometimes God is going to push back on some of those things in your life because you were, you were investing yourself in places where you think you have it all together, but pride has blinded you to all the things that you need to learn in that arena of life. And, and I'm convinced that there are times in my life where God has allowed me to experience moments of, of uh, induced humility. I remember one night before Oasis, actually, we had just started meeting in here, and I was running over to the activity center to grab some things, and I stepped up on the stage, and I split my pants. I was like, oh, no. 
right? So the rest of the night, I didn't have time to go home and change. I like walked around like this. <laughs> it was really hard to have any sort of pride that night, right? I was just trying not to turn my back to anybody. And it was one of those moments where God just kind of quietly spoke into my soul and said, are there moments and times when you think of yourself more highly than you ought to? When pride can't be cultivated, humiliation is not far behind. And by humiliation, I don't mean that, that God is trying to cut our knees out from under us. What I mean is that sometimes God allows us to walk into things that become a teachable moment. The question is, will we humble ourselves and actually become teachable in those moments? So let, 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 me, let, let me do a case study of this. Pride is a, a false perspective. Humility is having a right perspective of myself. How, how does this play all out? What, what does this right perspective look like? And so what I want to do is I want to read to you the story of Uzziah in 2 Chronicles 26. And what you're going to see in his life and his story is a case study of a false and a right perspective and how it plays out in pride Versus humility. So 2 Chronicles 26 says this. It says, Then all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and they made him king in place of his father. He was the one who rebuilt Elath and restored it to Judah after Amaziah rested with his ancestors. Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 52 years. His mother's name was Jechaliah. She was from Jerusalem. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father Amaziah had done. He sought God during the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God. As long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. He went to war against the Philistines, broke down the walls of Gath, Jabda, and Ashdod. He then rebuilt the towns near Ashdod and elsewhere. God helped him against the Philistines and against the Arabs who lived in Gerbal and against the Munites. The Ammonites brought tribute to Uzziah, and his fame spread as far as the border of Egypt because he had become very powerful. Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem at the corner gate, at the valley gate, and at the angle of the wall, and he fortified them. He also built towers in the wilderness and dug many cisterns because he had much livestock in the foothills and in the plains. He had people working the fields and vineyards in the hills and in the fertile lands, for he loved the soil. Uzziah had a well-trained army ready to go out by divisions according to their numbers as mustered by Jael, the secretary, and Messiah, the officer under the direction of Haniah, one of the royal officials. The total number of family leaders over the fighting men was 2,600. Under their command was an army of 307,500 men trained for war, a powerful force to support the king against his enemies. Uzziah provided shields, spears, helmets, coats of armor, bows, and sling stones for the entire army. In Jerusalem, he made devices invented for use on the towers and on the corner defenses so that soldiers could shoot arrows and hurl large stones from the walls. His fame spread far and wide, for he was greatly helped until he became powerful. But after Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. He was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Azariah the priest with 80 other courageous priests of the Lord followed him in. They confronted King Uzziah and said, it's not right for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord. That's for the priests, the descendants of Aaron who have been consecrated to burn incense. Leave the sanctuary for you have been unfaithful and you will not be honored by the Lord God. Uzziah, who had a censer in his hand ready to burn incense, became angry. While he was raging at the priests in their presence before the, Lord, uh, uh, in, before the Lord's temple, leprosy broke out on his forehead. When Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked at him, they saw that he had leprosy on his forehead, so they hurried him out. Indeed, he himself was eager to leave because the Lord had afflicted him. King Uzziah had leprosy until the day he died. He lived in a separate house, leprous and banned from the temple of the Lord. Jotham, his son, had charge of the palace and governed the people of the land. 
Verse 16 in my mind is what summarizes most of this chapter. But after Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. And his story becomes for us a great case study on what it is to walk in a false versus a true perspective of yourself. And and, and in fact, of the world around you. Now, let's look at who Uzziah was. Notice in verse 1 that it says, Uzziah became king of Judah at the age of 16. You guys, this is just a snapshot of how successful this kid was. He, he became king of an entire nation at 16. What were, you, what were you doing at 16? I was living in my parents' basement, driving my mom's minivan to high school, usually late, eating entire boxes of Cinnamon Toast Crunch, right? Usually, like, just in my socks and shorts, like, watching cartoons as a 16-year-old. Dude's running a country, Right? As a 16-year-old. And not only that, but notice it says that the people came to him and made him king. They overthrew his father, led a revolt to set Uzziah up as king. Now, immediately, Uzziah goes to work. And there's all these little details. It talks about how he rebuilt the city of Elath. The city of Elath, it was on the Red Sea, and it was a major commercial shipping port. Rebuilding that city gave the, the nation of Judah access to maritime shipping routes that led to a large economic success for them. Now, not only that, but his success story continues. It says that he went to war against the Philistines and broke down the walls of their major cities. Now, the Philistines are like the perpetual enemies of the people of Israel and Judah. But Uzziah, he has the ability to go to war and he finds victory again and again against the the Philistines. In fact, he's so good at it that in verse 8 it says the Ammonites, who again are enemies of the people of Judah, are actually bringing tribute to him. So the Ammonites are coming to him. They're literally paying him to leave them alone. They're like, dude, we we see how good you are at this war thing. We're going to pay you just not to touch us. Just do your thing. We'll do our thing. We'll keep keep bringing you goods and services and trading just so you leave us alone. And it says, in fact, in verse 8, that his fame spread to the border of Egypt because he had become very powerful. And Egypt at this time is one of the most prestigious and powerful military and economic forces of the world. And even Egypt has heard about King Uzziah from this small little country who's becoming so powerful and famous that even the mighty Pharaoh in Egypt is starting to listen to this name of Uzziah. Now, not only is he uh, good at warfare, not only is his fame and power growing, but he, he begins this building campaign. He builds towers in the wilderness. In other words, the wilderness was this area where you couldn't go. It was all this land that was unusable. You could get robbed. You could get attacked by a wild animal. But Uzziah, as a gift to his people, starts to tame the wilderness. And he begins to build wells and cisterns. It, what, what's being described here is the ancient version of an economic boom. I mean, things are happening. People are experiencing a level of, 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 of living and a level of well-being that they never really have before. In verse 11, it says Uzziah had a well-trained army. He, in fact, had swords and spears and helmets for everybody, which were expensive. Not every ancient army had those. And in fact, it says that he invented towers where his soldiers could shoot arrows but be under protection. The dude literally revolutionized the way that warfare was done. He is the king with the leadership ability that few, if any, ancient leaders ever had. Are you tracking with how successful he was? Right? In fact, again, in verse 15, it repeats this. His fame spread far and wide, for he was greatly helped until he became powerful. Twice. He's so famous and so powerful that the writer of Chronicles twice comes back to this and says, oh, let me remind you, he is famous. He is powerful. Nobody can challenge his leadership. Nobody can challenge his rule. But again, notice what verse 16 says. But after he became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. So here's the question we have to ask. Why was Uzziah successful? 
And our answer to that question gives us a key insight into pride. Let me ask you the same question. Why are you successful at the things that you give your hand to? Now, Uzziah might have answered that question and said, at the end of his reign, he might have said, I'm really creative, I'm really good at economics, I'm really good at leading a military. But when you read the text, you get the real insights into why Uzziah was successful. Notice what it says in 26 verse 4. It says that he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. The reason Uzziah was successful was because he aligned his life with the word and with the wisdom of God. He was somebody who said, I'm going to live in a way that God has called me to live. I'm going to align my life with an ethic that God has called his people to. There is a wisdom when we align our life with the word and with the way of God. Why was Uzziah successful? Secondly, in verse five, it says this, it says he sought God during the days of Zechariah. So not only is he walking ethically in a way that aligns with biblical truth, but he is someone who is actively pursuing and cultivating a relationship with the God of all the universe. In other words, he is a king and a leader who is putting God first in his life. He says, no matter what I do in my leadership, I'm going to pursue God. I'm going to seek his wisdom and seek his counsel. And in fact, again, in verse five, why was Zechariah or why was Uzziah successful? It says he saw God during the days of Zechariah who instructed him in the fear of God. That's significant for a couple of reasons. One, he has a coach and a mentor who's speaking into his life. Secondly, it's this. This to me speaks of Uzziah's teachability. Zechariah was a prophet, someone who was wise and learned in the ways of the Lord. And Uzziah is willing to sit under his teaching and let somebody speak into his life. So why was he successful? He aligned his life with God's word and God's way. He's pursuing God in all things. He's letting someone speak into his life. But ultimately, he's successful because of this. Look what it says in verse 5. As long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. See, here's the question. In pride, we think we've been successful because of our hard work. Do you realize that the things that you've been given are, in fact, a gift of God's grace? Right? Maybe you're a student athlete and you've worked really hard to be a collegiate athlete. And right now in your mind, you're going, whoa, 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 pastor, you need to step back. I've worked really hard. I've trained day in and day out. I've made sacrifices. Let me, let me ask you this question. Who blessed you with the physical ability to even begin to do what you do? Because let me tell you this. I will never play football for South Dakota State University for a couple reasons. One, I'm a little bit outside the recruiting demographic, just, just a smidge. Uh, also, I, I just, I don't have the physical ability, right? But some of you have been blessed in a variety of ways as, as an athlete. Do you recognize that that's a gift of God's grace? Or maybe you're somebody who academics comes really easy for you and you have a mind that is sharp and you remember things and you do really well on tests. And right now in the back of your mind, you're going, whoa, whoa, whoa pastor, you need to back up because I study really hard to get good grades. Let me ask you this, who blessed you with the intellect you have? Right, that's a gift of God's grace. And so often what we do in pride is we want to equate our success not to the fact that God has graced us and given us good things and great gifts. We attribute it to how good we are and how hard that we've worked. In fact, that's the American way. That's the American dream. Work hard enough and you can pull yourselves up by your bootstraps. There's no room in the American dream for God's grace because it's all about how hard you work. And it comes back to a place of I can... I can apply myself hard enough and I can earn my way independently. It's all on me. But twice in this passage, again, in verse seven, it says this. It says, God helped him against the Philistines. You guys, Uzziah did not defeat his enemies. God defeated them. 
God helped him against the Philistines. Again, in verse 15, it says this. Uh, it says, in Jerusalem, he made devices for war. His fame spread far and wide for he was greatly helped. See, a false perspective says, I have done all this on my own strength, on my own ability. True humility recognizes that everything in your life is ultimately a gift of God's grace. And it is God who is greatly helping you and providing the way in front of you. And that, that doesn't mean, by the way, that God's going to make your life easy and just open up the steps in front of you. What this means, in, in, if I'm going to pursue God in humility, it means I submit and surrender my life to him and I am humble and teachable before him as I pursue him. Humility brings with it a sense of surrender to God's plan and God's purpose for my life. So ultimately, I would suggest to you that Uzziah is humble because he is someone who is, I'm sorry, is successful because he's humble and teachable. He's someone who's faithful to God. Those are defining characteristics of who he is and how he lives and how he leads. The, the results of his success are increased fame and power, right? But also with that comes a sense of inflation of his pride. In verse 16, it says, but after Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. What happened is he experienced success and he started to think, yeah, you know what? I'm a pretty good king. Who else has done what I have by the age of 22? Right? Look, look at how great I am. But what happens is when your success grows more quickly than your character, you don't have the characters to sustain it and pride will cut you off at the knees. Right? He stopped cultivating his character. He stopped pursuing God's faithfulness in his life. And ultimately God goes, okay, you want to try what you can do? I'll let you try independently in your own strength. And God removes his blessing from him. See, here's the thing about God's love. God is gracious enough that if we reject him and say, I'd really like to do this on my own, God will let us. He'll let us exercise that free will to try things our own way. And every time I've done that, it's brought me to a place of humbly coming back to God to say, I need to repent of my independent spirit and recognize the pride that is present that led me to a place of rebellion against God's direction in my life. So what are symptoms of pride in Uzziah's life? Let me flesh this out for you because I think this becomes a diagnostic for us of where maybe pride is present in our own life, right? So what happens? Notice that Uzziah stops pursuing God. Verse 16 says this, but after Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. He was unfaithful to the Lord. In other words, what happened is he got all the fame, he got all the power and he goes, I'm pretty good. I got this all figured out. And he stops faithfully pursuing God. He assumes that it all was on his own ability, his own strength. He, he neglects to recognize God's grace in his life and says, this was all on, on my own ability. Then not only that, but he starts to adopt this sort of mentality that says the rules don't apply to me. I, I, I'm above that. And coupled with this is a sense of superiority to those around him, right? And I say that because look at what happens. He goes to the temple and he decides I'm going to walk in the temple and burn incense in there. That was a duty of worship that only the priest could carry out. But Uzziah has so much pride, he goes, I'm the king. If I want to walk into the temple, I'll walk into the temple. That's my temple. I built the walls around the city. If I want to go in there, I'm going to go in there. The rules don't apply to me. The priests, they can't stop me, right? He has the sense of I am better than everyone else. Why? Because the world revolves around him. He's famous. He's powerful. He's got it all together. Look how gifted he is. The rules don't apply to him. He can get away with it. And so he walks right into the temple and just does whatever he wants to do. Now, what's so interesting here is where once he was teachable, right? Zechariah instructed him in the fear of the Lord. He now becomes unteachable. 
right? Because what, what did the priests do? Look what happens. In verse 18, it says, they confronted King Uzziah and says, it's not right for you to be in here. This is what the priests do. You should wait out there with the other people who are worshipers. And, and notice what happens. It says Uzziah had a censer in his hand. He became angry. I, I love this line. I have no idea what it means, but I love it. While he was raging at the priests, y'all, what does raging mean? Right? Like, I don't even know, but I just picture, have you ever seen somebody who's just irately angry? And, and think about it. In the, in the grand scheme of things, it's not a big deal. All they did was come to him and say, you know, Uzziah, you're really not supposed to burn incense. Would you step outside? And the dude flies off the handle. Why? Who, who are you? You're a priest? How dare you confront the king? And he starts raging at them. And by the way, it says that there were 80 priests that came to confront him. And he's unteachable. Why? Because pride is so rooted in his life that none of that applies to him. When you become unteachable is the moment where pride begins to really calcify in your life because you're not willing to humbly listen to voices of wisdom and direction and guidance all around you. Now, ultimately, what happens is the result of his pride is a loss of the fame and the power that he had. Because while he's raging at the priest, it says that leprosy breaks out on his face. Now, leprosy... In, in the Bible often refers to a variety of skin diseases. But if you had what they termed leprosy, you couldn't be touched. You were unclean because it, it was highly contagious. And so if you got leprosy, you literally would have to walk around saying, I'm unclean, I'm unclean. So as soon as he get leprosy, the priests are like, bro, you need to leave right now. And what does he do? He walks out. And in fact, he has to leave the palace and listen to what it says. It says, King Uzziah had leprosy until he died. And he lived in a separate house, leprous and banned from the temple. His son had charge of the palace and the land. Listen, God gave it to him and God took it away. He thought it was all his. He thought he had established it all. But God goes, you want to try to be in control? I'll let you try. And he lost everything that he worked so hard to gain. Why? Because pride was rooted and calcified in his life in a way that was really, really unhealthy. So here's this question still, right? The key question is, how do we cultivate humility? How do we go from a place of pride to a place of, of, of humility? How do we actually cultivate this, right? And, and here, when I talk about humility being a right perspective, what I mean by that is humility is recognizing who I am, my strengths and my weaknesses, right? It's not self-deprecation. It's not insecurity. It's not the person who walks around saying, oh, I'm not that good. I don't really, don't have much to offer, no, humility is recognizing God has given me great strengths. God has blessed me, but I also have weaknesses. I, I have things that I'm not good at. But humility also recognizes who God is and that I desperately need him. And humility also recognizes that other people around me also have equal worth right alongside of me. And what ultimately humility recognizes is that my life is not sent, meant to be centered around me. Humility recognizes that I am sent to serve others. My life is, to, is to, to focus outward on itself, right? Because what happens with pride is when it collapses in on me, that is a lonely, isolating way to live. But humility turns your life outward on itself. I'll flesh that out for you here in a second. What I want to suggest to you ultimately is that the bridge between pride and humility is this biblical term of wisdom. And wisdom is defined as right understanding. Which leads to another question, right? Well, how do we cultivate wisdom? Let me read for you just briefly from the Bible. In Proverbs, it talks a lot about this idea of wisdom and humility. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10 says this. It says, the fear of the Lord... When it says the fear of the Lord, what they mean is a deep sense of awe and reverence and respect. 
When you have this sense of who God is and it takes your breath away, like when, when we are singing in worship and we are acknowledging who God is and you recognize and you have that deep sense of awe and reverence and respect, that is where wisdom starts. Because when you have that deep awe and reverence and that sense of respect for who God is, what it does is it puts you in your rightful place and it begins to give you a right perspective that says, I, I don't have it all together. I need the God of all creation who loves me and calls me to relationship with himself. Likewise, Proverbs says this in chapter 22, verse four. It says, humility is the fear of the Lord. Its wages are riches and honor and life. Both wisdom and humility ultimately are rooted in a right understanding of who God is and having a deep sense of awe and reverence and respect for him. And it's this idea that leads Paul in Philippians 2 to say, y'all's attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's Philippians 2. And Paul says, y'all's attitude, the you is plural, y'all's attitude should be just like Christ, who humbly is willing to serve. Listen, if, if Jesus can give up his status as the son of God and become a servant, being humble and having a right perspective of ourselves and being sent to serve is not beneath us. So I want to leave you with some practical disciplines to cultivate the grace of wisdom and humility. I have two alliterated lists for you. Hopefully it helps you remember. Practices to cultivate the grace of, of wisdom and humility. Firstly, I want to challenge you to listen to God and others. And I want be really tangible and practical with this. I, four or five times this week, just take two minutes. And if you're a journal, write this down. If you're just going to pray it out loud, do that. Just say, God, what do you want to speak into my life? Ask that simple question. Monday through Friday, start there. Two minutes, say, God, what do you want to speak into my life? And just reflect on that question a little bit. But here's the other thing. I want you to really be uh, intentional to listen to other people. Because often what happens in pride is we feel like, I've got a lot to say. I've got a lot I wanted to communicate. There is something humbling about pausing and saying, I want to listen well to the wisdom of others and what they might teach me. Second is this. I want to lift others up in encouragement. Because we live in a world where what we want is for people to notice me, notice my strengths, and we want to receive praise and attention from other people. What would happen if we do that in reverse and say, I, I want to be intentional to encourage other people this week. So what I want to challenge you with is, uh, every day, find one person that you can encourage. M maybe it's a friend that you see every week that you're like, hey, you know what? I really appreciate how intentional you are to ask me about how my day is. That really makes a difference. Thank you for doing that. Or maybe it's somebody you want to write an anonymous note of encouragement to. Do that. Actively speak into their life. Focus attention on somebody else because it takes it off of you. Third is this. Learn from everyone around you. And here's what I want to ask you. Who's that person that you feel like has nothing to offer you or nothing to teach you? Do you recognize that God is also at work in their life, doing something in their heart and mind and life, and they probably have something to teach you? I think everyone around you has something that you can learn from. Third, second list is this. It's worship, word, and work. In worship, we are responding in praise to what God has done in our life. There's something about worship that roots us not in pride, but that roots us in humility. Right? We, in that song we were talking about uh, the cross that Jesus carried for us, it's really hard to be arrogant when we're praising Jesus because he carried the cross for us. 
And so as, uh, when the band closes in a couple minutes, I want to encourage you to enter that worship moment and recognize that that is a moment where we are rightly rooted in humility. Second is this word. I am engaging God's word. Ultimately, if you want to understand God's wisdom, you need to be in God's word where he reveals his wisdom. And I, I encourage you, if you don't know where to start, start in Proverbs. And read, you don't have to read a chapter a day, read one verse a day. But what I love about Proverbs, it's these great snippets of just deep and beautiful wisdom. You could read one verse and think about it all week. Start there, start simple. And finally is this, I want to work on behalf of someone else. And by that, I mean serve. Who's someone in your life this week that you can tangibly serve in a way that your life demonstrates that it's not about you, but you're willing to pour yourself out for the sake of others. And what happens is we walk rooted in God's wisdom, seeking in his face. He begins to root in us a right perspective. When we realize who we are, who God is, and our deep need of his, and we're receptive to the grace and the work that he wants to do both in and through us. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. And God, I'm, I'm amazed as I watch the story of Uzziah. In some ways, um, he's a hot mess. He, he feels like he's got it all figured out. He's successful. He's got fame. He's got power. And yet, God, as I read his story, I can't help but identify with him. That there's moments where we feel like, man, we've got it all together. We've worked really hard and we're experiencing the success. And Father, what we miss in all of that is your grace that made it all possible. So God, I pray that you would help us to be a people who seek you, who are faithful in our pursuit of you. God, would you give us your wisdom? Would you open our eyes to understand your word? Would you help us to be aware of opportunities we have to serve others? And God, would you give us ears to hear, to listen well to your words of wisdom and to listen well to those around us? That you would cultivate in us a heart and life of humility. Father, we love you. We're thankful for who you are and the grace that you so freely give us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.